it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game, a game that seems like a beautiful dream just now. I'm Kevin Day and of course, talking of beautiful dreams, I'm joined virtually by football finance experts at Liverpool University, Kieran Maguire. How are you, Kieran? I'm I'm very good, Kevin. Thank you very much. Uh, staying indoors, apart from my daily dog walk. I don't, I, <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh so much. It had the word dog in it, and yeah, um, yeah, you are staying indoors, but you, you're, you're still all over the media, though, aren't you? Ten to one in the morning on Talk Sport. Uh, yes, yes, I was asked to speak on the on the Paul Ross show. Um, yesterday was the Doncaster Free Press, which which for me was a dream come true. Uh, to get my name splashed around, and it's Radio Humberside tonight. Oh, you tart! Where's where's the Baroness? while you're doing talking to Paul Ross at ten to ten to one in the morning? Uh, she's uh, strumming. I think she's not. She's not not impressed with me. <laughs> with, with me, sort of uh, setting up alarm clocks for silly o'clock in the morning. What you, you you set the alarm clock to get up at ten to one? You weren't still up at ten to one, surely? No, 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 no. It's far too exciting a time for me. Really? Oh. Well. Um, yeah. Now, later in this episode, Kieran, you'll be talking on the phone. Uh, it's just you because we had technical issues. You'll be talking to Dover Athletic goalkeeper Lee Worgan about what life is like at the moment for clubs in the National League, the fifth tier of English football. And um, if we miss watching it, I guess they must really miss playing it. Very much so. Uh, Lee was very articulate. I think he was very uh, reasoned in in what in the views that he put forward. Uh, but it is is a time for great uncertainty, and, and I appreciate you know it, that's that's the the case for many people outside of the world of football as well. Um, you know, the, the the football is a much bigger industry than perhaps we realise, and there's so much focus on the Premier League. But uh, in in non-league football, um, it's it's a pretty tough gig. You know, there's lots of matches to be played, um, and and there's no cash to go around at present. Yeah. Okay. So before you talk to Lee, we do have some cracking stories, which I think some of our listeners may have missed in the in the crisis. Now. First of all, and I, I think it's fair to say we didn't quite see this one coming. The EFL has lost a bunch of cases just recently, haven't they? Um, th- that's right. I mean, the EFL have been investigating clubs and individuals, but if you if you take a look at what has happened, um, is that the, the the appeals and and the charges haven't necessarily gone the way that they would have hoped. So um, Bolton had a uh, a five point suspended deduction. Um, which was in, in respect of matches that were not played. Uh, there was a match at the end of 2018-19 uh, and a couple of matches that weren't played this season because the 
administrators said at the time, we've only got a bunch of kids and we just don't think it's good for their mental health playing professional football Saturday, Tuesday. Um, so uh, there was a five-point d- suspended penalty given. Um, this was on top of the 12-point deduction for going into administration. But the EFL appealed against the uh, the five-point suspension, saying it was too lenient. Um, but they were knocked back, and, and they've, ha- they've had to accept that... Uh, the uh, the judgment panel um, have be, believe that that to be fair. Who selects this judgment panel? Um, it, it's it's an independent panel. Um, you know that they try to get people that are not involved on football on a day to day basis. So it will be a barrister. It will be somebody from an administrative background that's got an understanding of of the law and and so on. So um, you know the the people involved are not going to be biased either towards or against the club. Right. Okay. So that was the first one. Um, then uh, Macclesfield, they they had a um, a six point deduction um, given. That was in December. But actually, looking at the small print, it was it was a ten point uh, deduction. This was because they failed to fulfil fixtures, partly due to the fact that they hadn't paid the players' wages. Um, now four of those points were suspended. Um, again, that went to appeal, and the appeal committee decided to reduce the penalty. Um, and this time, they they knocked it down from six points to four points. Now, given that Macclesfield are very close to the trapdoor in League Two, um, yeah. this this is a significant uh, benefit to them. Um, I think the uh, the guy in charge of Stevenage has been very diplomatic in his comments because Stevenage are the side at the bottom of League Two who are at, at the greatest risk to be. Uh, relegated to the National League. But uh, I I think uh, Stevenage people aren't happy with the reduction in that penalty. Um, and then finally, a, a couple of weeks ago, and, and this this came through at ten thirty on a Friday night. Mm. Um, this was direct from Sheffield Wednesday. Um, there had been charges against Adelphon Chancery, who's the club owner, um, John Redgate, who's the finance director, and the former chief executive, uh, Katrina Mir, um, that they had been charged by the EFL for misconduct. And all of a sudden, apparently, those charges have been uh, uh, very quickly dropped. So, so um, I think Sheffield Wednesday fans in particular uh, have seen this as a positive sign because although there are charges against the club as well as the executives, I think they're, they're drawing uh, a positive viewpoint that uh, if, the, if the charges aren't going to go ahead against the people running the club, then they've got a, a greater chance of being successful in their appeal uh, against the, the financial fair play penalties, which could be up to 21 points. Uh, and I'm sure, therefore, Derby County fans will also be listening um, mm. to what's happening with regards to these charges and, and the fact that they have been diluted because Derby are up on a charge as well. Do you think this is going to make it less likely in future that the EFL will attempt penalties like this if they're going to get knocked back so easily on appeal? Well, uh, I mean, it could be that yeah, the, the EFL might be seeing the, the, the three which we've discussed to date as, as pre-season friendlies and, and the ones against um, Sheffield Wednesday and Derby are, are the big ones that, that they have done an awful lot of research yeah. on. Um, I, I think both sides feel very confident with regards to um, what what's taken place um, in, in respect of uh, the the conduct of the club and, and the people investigating, um, but uh, you know I don't think anything can really take place in the future. 
um, in, in the short term because clearly you can't have a, a judgment panel t- uh, you know, conducting itself virtually when I think both sides of the, the law um, will be wanting to f- put together further documentation um, and they can't do that because they can't, in, they can't check out each other's uh, documents and they can't send things as easy as they would do under normal circumstances. So I think this one might be kicked down the road a bit until some form of normality returns. So glimmers of hope, you say, for Sheffield Wednesday and Derby fans. Um, Chelsea Athletic, Lesso, all was sweetness and light at Charlton Athletic, wasn't it, for about three days? And now it's a full-blown civil war. Well, that's right. I mean, uh, the former owner, uh, Roland de Chachelet, he was pretty unpopular with fans. Um, and when the club was sold um, to uh, was it, it's East Street Investments, um, yep. there, there was celebration um, in, in the streets of, uh, of that particular part of South London. Um, uh, there were two sort of new owners. Uh, one got a guy called Matt Southall, who I think is a is a former agent, and uh, I think the main money was supposed to be coming from a Syrian investor called Tanun Namir. Now, um, I think the first thing, the first signs that things weren't very great was that Charlton fans were expecting that with the new owners would would come an investment in the January transfer window. Um, And that never materialised. And and by all accounts, the reason for that was that the EFL were looking for for proof of funding coming from Mr. Nanir. And that didn't seem to materialise. So on the back of that, the EFL said, well, we're not going to allow you to, to sign players because you've, you've not proven that you've got the money to carry the club forwards for the next couple of years. Since then, the, the, the two people at the top of the club have clearly fallen out. And uh, Mr. Namir started posting some stuff on Instagram. And these were yeah. allegedly um, references to the, the spending by Matt Southall in terms of um, some expensive cars, uh, a, an expensive flat. I think it was £12,000 a month rent being paid for an apartment. Um, and and then there's a real ding-dong taking place between the two people involved. Um, lots of accusations. Um, I think Mr Southall has now been relieved of his duties as a director, but I think he's trying to appeal that. Um, and, and the last thing that I saw coming from um, the, the the local press in South London was that Mr Namir was saying, well, I'm going to put money into the club in April, but there's a couple of other directors involved at Charlton who, who are the former directors. They claim that they're owed £7 million uh, by Mr Namir and they've not received the money and they're going to be counterclaiming against him. So it's a real hotchpotch that's taking place at present. It, it just shows you how volatile the finances are in, in football, Kieran, as, as we, we're learning week in, week out. But when this takeover was first happening and we were talking about how delighted Charlton fans would be to have cast off De Chatelet, it, it all seemed to be above board. It all seemed to be that they were following the EFL rules and regulations and fit and proper personnel. And then suddenly this almost came out of nowhere, didn't it? That's right. I mean, the, the, the fit and proper test, it sort of has two elements to it. The first of which is, are you an outstanding criminal? Do, <laughs> do you have a conviction which is unlapsed at present? 
And as I think, yeah, we, we've discussed that practically anybody's going to pass that particular test. And there's a second, uh, there's a second uh, set of rules that you have to go through. And these are these are more strict. And this is looking into the financial background of the individuals concerned to see whether or not they have sufficient money to uh, allow the club to pay its debts. And I think this is what what caused the EFL to have some uh, have some concerns, to have some reservations, and things things have deteriorated since then i think uh, just to clarify uh, what kieran means is do they have an outstanding criminal record rather than are they an outstanding criminal <laughs> yes um so that's a slightly unsavory story the next one is um it, it's just terrible that it's still running there's, there's some news on the emiliano sala transfer fee and this is a story where there seem to be a lot of people who are probably legally right but morally not so it's it should have been done and dusted this a long time ago shouldn't it well, well yes and, and i think we, we we've both expressed our our reservations with the way that the clubs have conducted themselves we're talking about a, a 20 28 year old young man whose whose life has has been tragically lost um clearly that's implications for his family and everybody that was friends and family you know friends and and who loved him um but the sort of the words that are coming out and if, if if I give you the actual wording here from the Cardiff City accounts, in respect of an ongoing contractual dispute with another football club that arose in January 2019, the club has lodged an appeal with Cass. So Emiliano Sala doesn't get a mention. The, the, the selling club doesn't get a mention. It's just so incredibly impersonal. Um, and, and then you look into... What the, what the the club has then gone on to say is, oh, yeah, we're we're very confident, having taken legal advice, that we've got good prospects of success. Now, if that's the case, then you would think that Cardiff wouldn't do anything in respect of the transfer fee of Emiliano Sala. Yeah. But then, when you drop into the small print of the accounts, what they've done is that they've actually put through um, a, a, an expected cost of nineteen and a half million pounds. So they're saying one thing in one part of the accounts, and they're doing something else in another. Now, I, I don't want to sound unduly cynical, but if you put those costs through in the year in which uh, Cardiff were part of the Premier League. In the Premier League, you're allowed a £35 million um, financial fair play loss. If that had been deferred to when they're in the Championship, you're only allowed £13 yeah. million. So, you know, the, the, the cynic would say that uh, Cardiff are actually accelerating Emiliano Sala's cost um, simply to ensure that they're in a stronger financial fair play position. And if, if, that, if that is the case, I, I think that's, that doesn't reflect particularly well on the game. Well, you talked about contradictory information because one part of the club, at least, are claiming that he possibly didn't sign the registration document, which is one of the reasons they're using as an excuse to not pay the money. And quite frankly, what annoys me is that both clubs, Cardiff and not, should have just come to an agreement, put the money in a pot, give it to the foundation they've set up in Salah's name, give some money as well to the, the family of the pilot of the helicopter, because that's something else I find very uncomfortable the fact that they're trying to shift so much of the blame onto the pilot he was colorblind he shouldn't be flying at night etc like he's lost his life his family as devastated and that's kind of a, a side issue that needs to be dealt with by the police really they shouldn't be using that as an excuse 
to not resolve this tawdry financial issue. That, that's that's very much the case, and I'm, I agree with you entirely. You know, we, we are caught in this football bubble. You know, there were two people who lost their life that, that day, and there's two sets of grieving families. Um, I think the way that the clubs have, have tried to manipulate the media and, and control the narrative with regard to this, both Nantes and Cardiff, um, doesn't show that they're that they are thinking about the bigger issues here um you know a lot of people have been upset by what's happened and rightly so um and and football we have seen can act as a force for good um and and i think both clubs as you rightly said could have done something very positive here to to help alleviate Mm. the pain that people are going through um, but that doesn't appear to have been the case um, and they're too busy squabbling over a check we talk about football doing some good. Gary Neville's been getting a lot of praise, and rightly so for some of his altruistic gestures during this crisis. But Salford City have uh, been coming under the spotlight of the club that he co-owns. Their finances have been looked at. Well, yeah, I mean, Salford City have come up from the National League North and, and now they've been promoted from the National League into League Two. Um, and, and that's that's terrific. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for, you know, the the, the nature of the football pyramid and, and the, the way that clubs can accede from one division to another is is great because it gives everybody hope. Um, I, I think what's caused a lot of resentment amongst um, non-league clubs is that I managed to get hold of um, Salford's accounts for last year and, and as you know, when that is the case, I, I tend to get a little bit excited and you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the big magnifying glass comes out. Um, and, and it looks as if Salford lost around about two and a half million pounds. Um, and if you look at the, the amount of money that they were spending on players, um, their their transfer budget was, was bigger than, I think, 23 out of 24 clubs in League Two, which is you yeah. know the, the, the football pyramid above. So I think that takes a bit of the gloss off the the achievements um and you know there's always resentment in football and what about and so on between fans but uh it's certainly given that the fans of other clubs in the national league um ammunition to perhaps of a, a criticism of you know, the, the the method by which uh, salford have got through the leagues and they'll be pointing out that you know the, the attendances at salford aren't perhaps as good as uh, you would expect them to be having said that they're an embryonic club yeah they they are in the shadow of the two big Manchester clubs and it, and it is difficult to get people to switch allegiances or, or to suddenly decide they're going to watch uh, you know, lower division football. It's um, it, I know it's something that uh, a friend of this show, the Accrington chairman Andy Holt, has been quite vocal about but on the other side of it, it's, it also proves it is virtually impossible in modern football at whatever level to get success without some kind of investment and it's, it, it's part of me that I understand everything that you say, but there's also part of me that thinks you shouldn't really resent a club if there is investment available then fair play to them. Yeah, I mean, pe- people have stuck their, their hands in their pockets and they've they've invested in a project and, and on the back of that, you know, the, the, the local fans who, who were very much sort of two men and a dog five years ago, yeah. um, A, they've, they've got a bit of glamour. You know, n- nobody, when they started supporting Salford City, would expect to see themselves on BBC documentaries and yeah. Sky Sports documentaries. Um, and now the, you know, the, the ground has been improved in terms of the infrastructure and they're seeing a quality of football that they wouldn't have anticipated so yeah, there, there are always positives and and we have to be realistic as you as you rightly said um you don't get anywhere in football um on a shoestring under 
unless there's very exceptional circumstances. Um, and those clubs that do get promoted on very low budgets, they have a habit of, of not surviving too long in the higher divisions. Mm. So you've had your big magnifying glass out, which I presume is the same big magnifying glass that the Baroness uses. But let's draw a veil over that. Uh, the the floodlights have been opened on Spurs finances, haven't they? Really, this is um, I mean it's the the opposite end to the the Salford City scale, but it's uh, some rather eye opening stuff coming out of Tottenham. Well, that's right. I mean, Spurs are a very <clears throat> successful club. Um, so, you know, as far as the Premier League is concerned, um, I think over the course of the last three or four years, I think Spurs have made more profit than anybody else. I think there was a lot of people saying that they felt that uh, Spurs would struggle to, to finance the new stadium, and, and the cost of those new stadi- of the new stadium has been greater than anticipated. Um, it, it's, it's come to over a billion pounds, I think, between. Between, you know, the new White Hart Lane and the, the investment they've made in the training ground facilities and talking to some people in the game they say the facilities are off the scale in terms of what, what is available to players uh, from a from a, a training perspective so there's been this huge investment um, at the same time they managed to turn in a profit of 113 million pounds last year I think that's the highest of any club in the Premier League um, they're only paying 39 pounds in in wages for every 100 pounds that comes through the door that's that's the lowest in the Premier League and um, so all of these seem to be positives and then we had the announcement that that Spurs were were going to uh, furlough uh, 550 non-playing staff, um, and, and effectively, you know, that they're going to use the taxpayer as as a means of uh, funding their their non-playing staff. Now, mm. if you then start to crunch the numbers, um, you know, 550 people. Let's say that they're on an average of of 30 grand a year you know, you know and I don't think that's that's excessive you've got lots of people working in the back offices on you know on on you know reasonable but not high income um the furloughing rules are there for for three months so so that works out as you know the, the cost of the club for employing those 550 people um is is 3.3 million pounds for over, over a three-month period Daniel Levy, who is the the Spurs uh, CEO, now Daniel is is a very very smart guy. Nobody's denying that. Um, last year he got a a salary of three million pounds, and he got a bonus of four million pounds on top of that. So he's now the highest paid executive in English football. Um, his bonus would cover the the, the yeah. three months, which is effectively going yeah. to be paid by the taxpayer. It's, I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn that even at a Premier League club there are 550 salaried staff but what surprises me about this because there are Premier League clubs who are trying Palace being one of them to keep paying staff as long as possible just in terms of PR and they obviously don't care we we saw what happened to Mike Ashley and and sort of by default Newcastle with what he's been trying to do and that these are these are the sort of things that fans will remember when this is over isn't it yes I I think uh, Spurs Spurs have done what they are legally entitled to do. Of, of, of course, of course. And perhaps, again, this is the romantic in us, if other 
companies of a similar size are doing it, why are we singling them out? Is it because we as fans, we, we expect more of football clubs um, than we do if it was a company that was making light bulbs, for example? Um, yeah. I, I, I genuinely don't know. So is, is there an element of double standards towards Spurs? Um, but uh, you know, given the amount of money in in the very top of the game, uh, and certainly you know, as as your as people will find out when they listen to our chat with with Lee Worgan from from Dover, yeah, you know, that that money does not cascade down into mm. the national league. Uh, but there's no resentment from I think from the lower league players, you know, that they they accept where they are. Um, I think that there's a feeling that that Spurs haven't exactly conducted themselves in a, in a very smart manner um, with with the pronouncements that came out from Daniel because this was on the day that the accounts were published when his seven million pound salary or seven million pound pay for last year was being touted. At the same time, we can't afford to pay people in the back office. It's it's not resentment as such. It, it, it's disappointment, and it's it's the hope that anybody who has that sort of money available would act in a more altruistic fashion is, is is what it is. When, you know, my industry, the entertainment industry, the Edinburgh Festival has been cancelled today. People will be struggling for a long time. And you'd like to think that people who are not struggling financially would do as much as they possibly can. So it's it's not just Tottenham Football Club. I've got a great deal of respect for Spurs. They're a fine club. It's any organisation that would that acts in the same way, especially as you say on the day they announce how much money they've actually got. Yes, yeah, I, I think it, it's... Uh, it, it's- it's it's poor juxtaposition of two events, yeah. Um, and they they've not come out of it very well. Um, and it does allow the people that like to have a pop at football clubs, um, yeah. it's just giving them free ammunition because yet yeah, there are far wealthier organisations in the world than football clubs who are making an absolute fortune out of the pandemic through short yeah. selling, through manipulation yeah, of yeah, prices yeah. of commodities and and gouging prices for for drugs and things of this nature. Um, you know, we do live in this football bubble, but um, you know, have a little bit more forethought if if you are going to be doing something of this nature on the same day as as announcing 113 million pounds worth of profit. Yeah, and at the other end of the economic scale is is Dover Athletic in the National League. Um, because of technical issues, which my son wouldn't wake up to fix, Kieran uh, spoke to Lee Worgan from Dover Athletic alone. And let's have a listen to that interview now. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Lee has played over 630 games, according to Wikipedia, but uh, they've not detailed the number of games he played for Eastbourne Borough, apparently. Um, uh, He's not scored any goals. I I suspect that's something to do with being a goalkeeper. Um, But welcome very much to the show, Lee. Uh, First of all, how are you getting on in this this, uh, this crazy time in which we're living? How are you coping with uh, being uh, cooped up 24 hours a day? Well, firstly, thanks for having me on. Um, It's a pleasure. Uh, it's difficult. I'm sure how everyone's um, everyone's in the same position, but you've just got to try and stay positive and and get through it and utilise that that one bit of exercise a day that that, that you're allowed. And um, I'm, I mean, I've tried to see it as as I wouldn't have had these these few weeks initially uh, before, so I get to spend time with with my daughter that I wouldn't have had. And it's uh, yeah, it's just a case of uh, of trying to stay positive and and get through it. But it's testing times, obviously. But you know, we're we're all in the same position. Absolutely. And and are you in touch with the rest of the squad? Have you got WhatsApp groups? Are you using Zoom and other <laughs> yeah. ways? I'd imagine some of the lads, especially the single lads, must be finding it quite tough. <laughs> I can imagine so. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. Obviously, I think uh, a massive uh, massive thing about about all this is trying to stay you know, in, in touch with your, your social interaction and, you know, in the form of WhatsApp groups, like you said, Zoom, um, and House Party, all of these sort of platforms help you and enable us to, to communicate. It's Our WhatsApp group has been has been pretty busy over the last week, as you can imagine, with, with the various situations that have been unfolding, just not at our club, but at sort of, you know, every club within the, within the football leagues. So it's, um, yeah, we've been in touch backwards and forwards. Um, and that, I guess that's all you all you can do at the moment is, is is just try and stay in touch with people. Absolutely. So um, I, I saw on the club website that the uh, that the chairman's made a statement. He's effectively said that the the club doesn't have any more cash, um, and I think they're mm-hmm. looking at the furlough scheme and things of that nature. Uh, what's what's your position as a player? You, have you been in contact with the PFA, or uh, have you been in in touch with any other authority, authorities or advisors? Well, this all sort of started. Um, we were one of the last games because obviously the, the national league uh, was one of the last leagues that, that actually played before before all the sort of the suspensions come into play. So we played at home to Chesterfield. Uh, it was a, a very very strange game because you know, it, you know, I mean, games are getting called off from from the night before all through the morning. So he wasn't really unsure, you know sure whether he was going to play or not. We had a meeting with our chairman uh, before the game. He he made it quite clear that. If football was to be suspended at our level, then you know finances were going to be an issue. Uh, we didn't obviously know to the extent of that until the following week. So we get paid weekly at our football club. So we got paid as of last Friday, and uh, we then received a letter basically stating that going forward, the the, the club don't have any funds to fulfil our contracts. Uh, obviously, because they they don't have the the revenue streams coming in, match day income. Um, uh, such as you know sponsorship and the likes, so we were sort of left in a position where you know we didn't really know what was going to happen until 
the the government retention scheme was put into place but you know as we all know it's uh, all, all of the legislations with that are still very much up in the air so we've uh, we've all pretty much since agreed to go onto the onto the the, the furlough scheme um as i see that you know quite a few other clubs have done that recently but you know we're literally in the hands of the government now because uh, you know the club have said that they can't contribute anything towards our our, our wages so um you know for, like i said for the foreseeable future we're we're at the mercy of of boris and, and the government right absolutely and i appreciate as you say that that's affecting not just people in the football industry but many industries as well it's it's a it's a time mm. of great stress i think for people and uncertainty so um have have you been in contact with the PFA? Have, have they been in uh, sort of advising the members, or have you just sort of been di- dealing directly with the club itself? We've done a, a lot of uh, you know a lot of both really. There was myself, the management staff, um, our captain Kevin Locko, and our, our vice captain Michael Woods, who we had um, a, a, a Zoom video call with the chairman, um, and again he made it quite clear that you know all of the details that he, he said before the game against Chesterfield were, were going to happen we you know the finances weren't there he was looking into the scheme um that this was last week um and so he did tell us whoever of us that are PFA members because obviously the PFA only really look after the Premier League and the EFL clubs we're as a national league club even though we are full-time we're we're pretty much left you know to fend for ourselves in terms of player rights and uh, and such so those of us that have been members in the past, the, the PFA have been excellent. I, I must say they've been they've been very very good in terms of any sort of uh, you know contractual sort of information that they can give us and, and what really you know what way to go with this. Um, and then obviously others have, have taken advice, other legal advice. My, I'm in quite a fortunate position. My wife's a lawyer, so she's she's had a little look through what what, what the documents are that we've been asked to sign, but. Uh, again, you know, it does boil down to the fact of if, if the club's got no money and you know that they're, they're not in a position to be able to pay you, then uh, again, you either have to sign the furlough scheme or or you risk, you know, running with with no money for for however long that will be. Yeah, I mean, that sounds a very practical approach that you're taking, and uh, we hope best, best luck that it, it does get sorted out. I think every everybody's hoping for for some sort of recommence. You know, life mm. is going to recommence at some point in time, but none of us know when that's going to be um i've noticed you know and clearly the fa have have made this very big announcement that that all leagues below the national league are are now scrapped um <clears throat> do you have friends and colleagues who are are in that position do you know what their reaction is and and what would you say if uh, the national league itself uh, in terms of this season was scrapped i mean you know looking at dover's position um you're you're not out of the playoffs uh, in terms of you know if you put if you get a get a good run of uh, results uh, so so how how do the players feel about uh, the the announcement from the fa well i mean firstly i'd i'd like to say i wouldn't want to be in the position of having to make the decision obviously it's you know no one's this is a, a an unbelievable situation that everyone finds themselves in um I do think it was probably a bit hasty of the FA to to, to completely expand all the divisions. Um, I've played at you know lower down the pyramid, the non-league pyramid. I, I've played at those levels, and I, I think it was a bit hasty, like I've already said. Uh, I've got friends who uh, managers are in varying levels, so I've got a manager who who I know very well. Who I speak to quite often. His 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 club are top. Um, they're two. I think they're six points clear with two games in hand. They've 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 invested a, a significant amount of money for for the level that they're playing at in terms of wages, travel, um, you know, and everything that they've put into it. To suddenly see their season written off, 
Um, and I believe it was written off without even any form of consent. They just received an email saying that, that their league was no more. So I do think that that, yeah, that that was all done far too quickly. And I do think that if they were to do it at our level, I think there would be some, some serious ramifications of that because obviously you've had Notts County come down, who, who I believe a third. Barrow, who in my opinion deserved to go up, who are top. Um, would they not go up? Uh, you know, would they lose out on close to a million pounds of, of of income from getting to the football league, or do the football league allow nothing? There's, there's just so many unanswered questions, and I think whatever decisions made, uh, I don't think anyone, you know, not everyone's going to be happy with it. No, I mean, w- w- I agree with you entirely. That there's bound to be winners and losers. I mean, I, mm. I, I think in the case of Barrow, I think the least that can be done would they would be promoted because that would ref- that that least would take the EFL back to having 92 clubs but you know that the clubs that would be due for a playoff place and, and the you know, I as you know I look at all of the numbers in in the clubs mm-hmm. um, and you've got clubs in the national league that are losing 2 2 and a half million pounds a, a year um and for that to be the case when they put all of that amount of effort in and also from the players point of view you you, you invest all that time in training you many players are working part time and then they're they're sort of switching lives they're giving up their evenings to go to training as well for all of that to be suddenly taken away would seem to be very harsh uh yeah i think so i think it really, you know it's it's extremely harsh you've probably got some some goal scorers there who have scored scored goals this season that you know of numbers that they would never reach before, and all of a sudden all them records are out of the window. Like you said, you've you've got clubs who are going to lo- lose a significant amount of money. And again, if you were to m- promote Barrow, if you're sat in uh, the Harrogate boardroom, you're probably not very happy either because ag- again there might only be eight ten games left, but form comes into play this this part of the year, uh, and I think that you know that's got to have a bearing. Uh, I do feel extremely sorry for for some for clubs that are in Barrow's position, but I think if if we're going to have to run in line with the EFL, and I think the, the latest statement from the National League to to say that our league is suspended is simply waiting for a decision from above. Who, of course, the EFL are waiting for a decision above them, and I think everything stems down from from what the Premier League are going to do in terms of, of structure, because essentially we are we are a pyramid starting from the Premier League, working down to step seven or step eight of, of non-league football. So to preserve the integrity of that, I, I think we're all going to have to sort of fall into the, the same sort of line, to be honest. Yeah, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and clearly, I, th- I think the the EFL, the PFA and the Premier League, I think they're having a meeting later this week where they're going to try to have some form of agreement. Um, and, and that will have implications for, for players in the National League as well. I mean, mm-hmm. could, could you see a situation whereby... Um, matches were played effectively you were playing two or three matches a week uh, just to get the season finished and from your point of view as a professional athlete you know is, isn't that going to cause issues for you um, and even if the matches are played they, they, would, would that would that be acceptable to you to play them behind closed doors when national league clubs are getting no money coming through because you're so reliant on match day I think what what we have to remember is as well at our level we've got a squad of around, I believe it's between 22 and 24. Nine of those players, are their contract finishes on May the 3rd or the end of April, depending on, on what date that their contract specifies. So potentially we could lose nine players out of our squad, leaving us with, with a team of, of 14. So 
listen, we we play three games a week in the National League for the first two months of the season. So in terms of fatigue on your on your body, we're we're sort of used to that level of of, of performance. However, to do that with fourteen players, are we allowed to sign players? Do do the players who are out of contract would they want to sign agreements to see them see them through a few months with that that then risk injury for them it's 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 such a there's so many unanswered questions and it would be so difficult i believe if we could we could squeeze the games in and finish the season then then that would be ideal but you know at the moment we're we're fellow players so we're not allowed to undertake any work so that would mean our club then taking up our contracts again with no income so it's it's extremely difficult situation that, that the clubs find themselves in and I think what the disappointing thing is for players at, at our level is there's so much money in the Premier League there's the, it, it, it it's probably if not when well, you're no more than myself probably the richest league in the world and to see none of that funding sort of be put in place and hopefully you know that might do then um, to, to put in place to sort of help us over these few months it's 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 quite saddened to see because I mean I looked at it this morning to see the amount of players that have come through the non-league pyramid to go on and not only play in the Premier League but be England internationals and I think that's forgotten by the the, the Premier League clubs and the Premier League supporters and you know we're sort of again left behind a little. Yeah I I think that the points you make are are very valid I mean I've got the numbers in front of me the Premier League wage bill last season was over three point one billion pounds, so you know that's that's a lot of money, and 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 the clubs themselves made over five billion. Um, you, you you drop down into the national league, and, and you know every everybody wants to get as high as they can, and, and, and I don't think you as a, as a professional you don't begrudge the players in the higher leagues earning the, the amounts of money that they do, but um, it, it does seem pretty harsh that. Uh, that there does appear to be a lack of support for for the pyramid, and, and the whole point about a pyramid is that the bottom of the pyramid supports the next tier up, and so on. Um, and you'd expect, you know, in an ideal world, for some of that to flow back down. You would hope so. Um, I, I don't begrudge anyone earning earning the money that they do. I've, you know, we play at our level, and it, it is tiring. It's, it's difficult. You're having to perform every week. You're under pressure, and I can only begin to fathom what that's like you know at Premier League level with the amount of money involved and the pressure involved that that, that those guys have to go in week in week out so listen they, they're not standing there sort of demanding the money that's just what the market value is and that's what they get paid so I've got, I've got no problems with with people earning, uh, earning that's, that, that level of money I think it's more you're looking at the Premier League as a whole um, if we were to just go through a few of the players Jamie Vardy Chris Smalling Joe Hart Mikel Antonio James Tarkowski, Yannick Bellassi, these are all players that have benefited coming through the non-league pyramid and gone on to, to play in the Premier League. And if, for whatever reason, you know this government retention scheme doesn't help our level and the money doesn't filter down from the Premier League, you, you're going to see that, that those avenues closed. Um, so that, that, that will be really, really disappointing to see um, because it's we're not just a level that support the Premier League in terms of some players. I mean, we at our club, we have a very good relationship with Tottenham. So what, what we have, have had in place is almost like a work experience scenario where the players come in and they train with us to, to get away from their multi-million pound training complex and come and train at our training ground where things are, uh, are as you can imagine, extremely different to that. So it's, you know, there's so many relationships that, that could go south if, if there's no support in, in that manner. 
I think I think you'll get the support of of everybody that listens to the show in, in what you've just said, Lee. So I'd just like to a thank you very much for for coming on. B to wish you and your family you know to stay safe, stay indoors, and and you know I hope none of us catch this this accursed disease. Um, and you know from from an outside observer's point of view, just hope you get back to some form of normality and, and manage to complete the season for for you and yours and, and carry on your career. No, let's hope so. I really appreciate you having me on and. Um obviously stay safe and to you and your family in these in these times cheers lee thank you very much thank you so that's i mean it's fascinating stuff here i mean how, what sort of vibe did you get about his his mood and about how this will all unfold um well lee lee was uh very positive i think he was very realistic he, he um you know as, as he's, play, he's played over 600 games in in football um so i think he's 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 seen the good and the bad in the game um i think he just reflected he the, the club itself you know, whether it should pay it, it physically couldn't pay because yeah, yeah. in the national league you've got nothing coming in uh, apart from your match day income so n- no no matches means that there's no money for not just the players you know there's, there's no money for the program seller there's no yeah, money yeah. money for doris the tea lady and so on um so uh, yeah I, I thought he gave he gave an excellent excellent representation um of where he is and also i think what was very good you know the the importance of of the football pyramid um to the game as a whole also indicates as well uh, we were talking about this before we actually started recording because you and i have a hinterland we 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 have a chat before we start recording don't we we like to i like to know what's happening outside your window you're in your disneyland countryside paradise (laughs) you you like to know how many cars are going past my inner city (laughs) um that what i think we're forgetting all this talk about you know the, the premier league last week the efl talking about taking teams off to remote training camps so the season can be finished and, and Sky will film it and there'll be a game every three hours. It will take four weeks after this ends for the players to get fit again, is what people are forgetting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, we, we, It's not a case of just flicking a switch and football returns. Uh, the, the, the players are in isolation. They, they, are, they are elite athletes. Um, you yeah. wouldn't expect Usain Bolt to just rock up um, you know, up up to a, an athletics meeting, having done no training for a month or two months, and exactly the same um, in respect of football. So, um, you know, the, the players are going to need time, and you'll have the sports scientists and you'll have the conditioning experts wanting that three weeks to be four weeks, or however it is, you know, however long before the, the matches return after some form of semblance of normality returns to our life. Um, and I think you'll have the, the the authorities and the TV companies pressing for that time to be kept as short as possible. Mm. Well, also from a financial point of view, I imagine insurers will want to make sure that players are fully fit because the, you know, the chances are that somebody gets an injury they may not have got and an insurance company is not going to be happy to pay out for it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's the players themselves, I think that they have to be taken into consideration because many of them will have contracts which expire on the 30th of June. Yeah. And many many others of them will have contracts which trigger a one-year extension. Um, normally, that kicks in on based on the number of appearances they've had by the 1st of April or the 1st of May. So so there's, there's lots of complications here. And, and the more you delve 
delve into it, um, the, the more questions than answers appear. Uh, the EFL, the Premier League and the, the PFA, they're all meeting. Um, and I think they're going to try to have some form of united front, which which has to be applauded if that does take place, mm. um, with a view to as to how the game is going to go forwards. But ultimately, and I think we're all in agreement with this, is that anything which takes people away from frontline emergency services cannot be countenanced um, until the, the pandemic is brought under control. Yeah, quite right too. Um, sadly, football won't be back for a while, but we will be back on Monday with a question special. Uh, if you have questions for that, we would have plenty, trust me, but we're always willing to take more. It's questions at priceoffootball.com and the Price of Football is a DAP DIP production. Thanks, Kieran. See you Monday, mate. Well, I won't see you Monday, unfortunately. I'll see you on a grainy screen. But yeah. Absolutely. Take care and stay indoors, folks. The Price of Football. I'm for the